Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. We are in week two of this new sermon series we started last week. We're calling Questioning Jesus. Because here's what I know about you and me. Everyone wrestles with God. We wrestle with, is God real? Is God right? Is, we all have this, this inner conflict, whether you're new to church, whether you've walked in here maybe for the first time, you've, you've clicked a link for the first time, and you're just curious about what this whole thing's about. Maybe you've been doing this a long time. You, you've even forgot or kind of stifled down some of your questions. We all have questions about God. And for those of us, especially those of us who are in church on a holiday weekend where it's going to snow, um, chances are not many of us struggle with the question of whether or not God exists. We've all pretty much, I would say in this room, take that for granted, take that for, just for a given that God exists. The question I think many of us have, though, is, is he right? Is he right? We, we don't doubt that Jesus existed, but is he right? Well, Jesus gets a lot of questions, and he has ever since he was here. When God came to earth in the form of a man, in the form of Jesus, Jesus got lots of questions. So what we're doing in this sermon series, these first couple of months of the new year, is we are going through the Gospel of Mark, at least the first half of the Gospel of Mark in your New Testament, and we're seeing these moments where Jesus was questioned, or um, maybe I can say it like this, Jesus was second-guessed, because people saw Jesus, they just weren't sure if he was right. And I think when we, when we take the time to, to read these stories and examine and pay attention to these questions, I think it will help us with our own questions, our own second-guessing of Jesus, of is God right? So let's just jump right back in this morning. This is Mark chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading. This is a very familiar story to many of us. Uh, let me just read the way Mark tells the story. Mark chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. We saw this last week as well, if you were here uh, this how people just get around bringing their sick friends bringing come with them want to hear jesus they want to see jesus heal these people while he was preaching god's word to them four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat they couldn't bring him to jesus because of the crowd so they dug a hole through the roof above his head then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of jesus Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, like I said, this is probably a familiar story to many of you. It's pretty wild when you think about it. Four friends show up. They're going all out to make sure, to make this happen for their paralyzed friend. The crowd is too thick to get their friend to Jesus. There's too many people. He's being ignored. So they come up with this, this brilliant idea they're going to climb up to the roof of the house, dig a hole through the roof, and lower their friend down to Jesus. I can't prove this. It's not in the text. I'm just, my presupposition here, but I suspect we are dealing with some small town, hill country fishermen here. These guys, I'm guessing, I'm guessing these guys grew up in a little, little town up in northern Israel where there were more sheep than people. And I say that because there's some real redneck ingenuity going on here. 
and I'm here for it. I love this. Now, this story gets a lot of attention, and, and rightly so. It, th- there's a lot to unpack. And there are, honestly, there are a lot of ways that we could go, as far as the sermon goes, as far as teaching the story. A lot of different ways we could go this morning. For instance, we could spend our whole time, our next 20, 25 minutes or so, we could focus just on the topic of evangelism. And, and it, it's there. We look at this story because these four friends, they will do whatever it takes to get their friend in front of Jesus. And that'll preach. And I preached like that way before. We could focus on the topic of advocacy and activism on behalf of the marginalized and the oppressed. Because these four friends, they show up with their paralyzed friend who would have been somebody who was looked down on in this society, someone who was seen as less than in this society. Nobody wants to make space for him. Nobody even wants to get out of the way so they can get the man to Jesus through the crowd. These four friends, they break physical boundaries. They break social boundaries to give this man a dignified place in society. And that's one of the things that God's church should be doing for the marginalized, the overlooked, the oppressed. And that'll preach. We could even look at the fact that this this text is a picture of faith in action. Look at the text there again. It says, seeing their faith. Seeing that this is the first time in Mark's gospel that this concept or idea of faith is mentioned. And it's mentioned in the, in the context, in this context, it has nothing to do with words. It has everything to do with actions taken. And that'll preach. But today I want to pay attention. And I want us to notice, because this is where we get to this questioning, second-guessing part of Jesus. I want us to notice how Jesus responds in this famous moment. So the hole is dug in the roof. The man is lowered down on his mat. Everyone in the room has come to a stop. You would have stopped too if the drywall and the insulation started falling in on top of me. You would notice this happening. Everyone's stopped. And everyone is staring at the man on the cot. And everyone is staring at Jesus. And Jesus says, Son, your sins forgiven. I, 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 I can imagine the friends up on the roof. They've done all this work. They've carried their friend across town. They've carried him up to the roof. They've dug a hole in the roof. They've loaded him. They're still <sighs> breathing hard. The hearts are beating hard. And they've got their friend right in front of the rabbi. And they're kind of leaning in, peeking through the hole in the roof. They can't wait to see what's going to happen. They can't wait to hear what Jesus has to say to the friend. They're so excited. Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, wait, what? What? What did he just say? No, 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 Jesus, Jesus, that's not why we're here. We didn't come for forgiveness, Jesus. Somebody down there, tell him he's paralyzed. He, he's paralyzed. That's the issue here. That's not what we're here for. We didn't come all this way. We didn't do all this work for that. We're here for a healing, Jesus. Make our friend better. And I'm sure that's what everyone in the house was expecting as well. That's what these crowds have been seeing. That's why the crowds were there, because it was a bit of a spectacle. Jesus was healing all these people who were being brought before him. Time and time again, there in Capernaum, that's what's going on. Jesus healing people, and now Jesus says this? I think there's two ways that Jesus is questioned in this text, in this story, or second-guessed in this story. The first one, the one I want to talk about first, the first one I want to talk about is is what happens next in the text. Look at it with me, verse 6. But some of the teachers of religious law, all right, so we've got all this crowd, people in the house, people out on the street, there's these religious leaders in the room, right there watching what's going on. Some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, thought 
to themselves. What is he saying? <gasps> this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. And so here they are. They are questioning Jesus. Who does he think he is? Forgiving sin. Now we need to be fair. And we need to acknowledge that the teachers of the law in this moment, they are absolutely right in questioning Jesus here. They are absolutely right. It's easy for us to view the religious leaders because we, we kind of know the end of the story. We know where all this is going. We know the religious leaders are eventually going to have Jesus arrested and put on a cross. We see them as the bad guys, and, and they've earned that. But we need to at least acknowledge, and we've got to be fair, they are absolutely correct in, in asking this question. In this line of thinking, is absolutely correct. They correctly understood that forgiveness of sins was the exclusive right of God and God only. So we need to acknowledge these teachers of the law have a good reason for their questioning Jesus. If I could put it in simpler terms, the question they are really asking here, is Jesus really God? Is Jesus really God? Listen, I think these guys have religious grounds, theological grounds, intellectual grounds, logical grounds to ask this question. And here's what I've noticed. The religious leaders aren't the only ones asking this question. People are still asking this question today. Is Jesus really God? It's a fair question. It's a good question. And it's one, I'll be honest with you, it's one that I don't think I can, I can answer for you satisfactorily in the time that we have together today. So let me just say this. Especially if, you are, if you're newer to this whole Christianity thing, and maybe you just clicked the link for the first time today. This is new to you especially. But this is something that Christians believe. This, th th this fact that, that Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. This is something that Christians believe. That God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, came to bring salvation to humanity, and he did it by coming in human form. I, I like to say it like this, God put on skin in the person of Jesus. And so we believe that Jesus was fully God, and Jesus at the same time was fully man. But this is, this is one of these things that often gets at the core of people's questions and, and skepticism about this whole thing. So let's just admit it. It's, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom that God showed up as a baby in a backwater town in ancient Israel. That he was eventually arrested, tried, and sentenced to death as a criminal by the Roman Empire. That's a lot to take in. So I don't blame you for questioning this. I don't blame you for having these questions. They're good questions. They're fair questions. But maybe I could just challenge you, if that's your question today. Let me just challenge you this. Keep asking the questions. Don't push those questions back. Keep asking those questions. But more importantly than asking the questions, keep seeking the answers. Keep looking for the answers. Keep exploring to find the answers to those questions. And let me challenge you, if this is you, let me challenge you to pray this prayer. Pray this, God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. You don't even have to believe to pray this prayer. Because you're starting, you're starting at the premise of, I'm not sure about the whole thing. So God, if you're there, if you're real, make this real to me.
And see if that doesn't answer that prayer in some way. Well, it was about to get very real for this man on the mat. Look what happens next in the text, verse 8. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Again, they, they didn't say anything out loud. He's just in communication with their thoughts. So he asked them. He answers the question with a question. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? He knows what they're thinking. He, he's, like I said, he's in conversation with their thoughts. So Jesus asked them the difficult question right back to the religious leaders. Right in front of this packed house. Right in front of this guy on the mat. Right in front of the guys looking through the hole in the roof. Which is easier? And I think Jesus just kind of let the question hang. Kind of dropped the mic moment. Which is easier? Um, everybody's quiet. No one knows how to answer this. All right, so let's think about it, just here in our context. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up off your mat, pick up your mat, and walk? Which, which is easier? Well, on the one hand, it seems like it would be easier to say you're forgiven, right? Because how are you going to prove that? How are you going to prove that? How are you going to verify that? How are you going to look at somebody and say, all right, you're forgiven, and then everybody knows it actually happened? Matter of fact, if I were to do that right now, I'm going to look at the camera for a second. Somebody watching at home, you, sitting there on your couch in your pajamas, you're watching, you're watching church in your pajamas, we're all dressed, you're still in your pajamas, we see how you are, you, on the couch, your sins are forgiven. Now, how do we verify that? How do we know that that really happened? So it would seem like, it would seem like that's the easier thing to do, which is easier. I don't know. I, I couldn't do either one. I don't know. But put yourself in the room for just a second. You've got a man lying on a mat. You've got a crowd gathered around watching to see what's going to happen, waiting for something to happen. You've got these religious leaders pondering the question. Now think about that. For these religious leaders, this was, well, this was fun for them. This was a debate. This is all theory for them. They love to have these debates and these deep conversations, and they're ready for that. They love this. For them, this is all theory. But for the guy on the mat, this is his reality. He can't move. He's paralyzed. He's laying there in front of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. Which brings me to the second question, way that Jesus is questioned in this story. And that question for us is this. When I get in front of Jesus, is forgiveness what I need most? You know, like this paralyzed man, so many of us end up in front of Jesus, or maybe we've come to church for the first time ever, or we've come back to church for the first time in a long time, or we, we clicked a link just because we're looking for something. We're looking for some kind of hope. Many of us are looking for that hope in relation to something that's going on in our lives. So we're looking for something. And like this paralyzed man who would have been looking for a healing looking for an, some sort of opportunity for his life to be dramatically changed in the here and now in obvious and concrete ways, and then Jesus speaks forgiveness first. It makes us question Jesus. Is forgiveness what I most need? Because it seems to me, Jesus, what I most need is to be healed. Is forgiveness what I need most, Jesus? Because what it seems to me what I need most is for my marriage to get put back together. Is forgiveness what I need most, Jesus? Because it seems to me what I need most is for this debt to go away. 
Is forgiveness really what I need most, Jesus? Because what, what it seems like I need most is for this relationship with my kids to be restored. Is forgiveness what we need most? I have probably, in my lifetime, I've probably listened to somewhere in the neighborhood of 25, 30,000 sermons. It's a hobby for me. I know you guys are lucky. You get one a week. I listen to like 10, 15 a week. That's just me. And of those, of those thousands, tens of thousands of sermons that I've listened to in my life, I remember some of them. Most of the ones I preach, I don't remember those. <laughs> but there's one sermon I heard back early in my ministry that I have never forgotten. It was preached by a guy by the name of Gene Apple. Some of you may know that name. Gene Apple preaches at a great big church now out in Anaheim, California. Uh, before he preached in Anaheim, he preached at a church in Las Vegas, which is fun to hear him talk about preaching in Las Vegas because it, it was a spectacle, as you can imagine. Big, fast, really fast-growing church in Las Vegas where he was a preacher. And uh, some of you know Gene's story, but Gene, when I heard him preach uh, this particular day, it was uh, in the mid-'90s. He was preaching at uh, what we call at the time called the North American Christian Convention. It was a convention of church leaders and, and church people from, from our brotherhood, from these, the independent Christian churches. We'd get together once a, once a year in the summertime for about a four-day convention conference and reconnect with people. Great, great, great time. And Gene was asked to be the keynote speaker at this particular conference, which actually happened in the city of Dallas, the big convention center in Dallas, about eight to 10,000 people in, in, at the conference, at this convention. And Gene was asked to preach. But there was some controversy about Gene Apple being asked to preach in this convention because just a handful of years before this, as he was preaching and beginning this ministry in Las Vegas, Gene Apple's wife fell in love with another man and left him. And everything he did to try to restore the marriage didn't work. And so he ended up being divorced. And as you know, sometimes church people can be awful mean. And so fortunately, the church he served in was generous to him and they allowed him to stay on as their pastor. But when he was just a couple years later asked to preach at the North American Christian Convention, some of the religious leaders of our day were having a fit about it. And they were all kinds of venom. Why in the world would we let a divorced man come and preach? There's so many other preachers who aren't divorced we could let preach in this. Why are we let him have a keynote speaker? Why didn't we let him be one of the main speakers of a main session in our sermon? I'll never forget his sermon. Because he got up to preach that sermon that night, and he knew what everyone had been saying. In the middle of his sermon, he just kind of stopped and said, I don't know what you came to Dallas hoping to hear. I don't know why you came to Dallas, what you hoped you would hear when you got to Dallas, but let me remind you of this. Your sins are forgiven. To a room full of religious leaders, he reminded us, our sins, my sins, are forgiven. What Jesus offers us first and foremost is forgiveness. When we come to Jesus, we may find that he wants to reorient our priorities of what's most difficult or what's most important. And when we don't initially get the thing that we want from Jesus, we have to realize that he still is always offering to us his grace and his mercy. That, and that may be the, thing, the very thing that we need the very most. Jesus knows that what we need most is forgiveness. And because of that forgiveness, God looks at each one of us and say, though you don't deserve it, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. My child, your sins are forgiven. And yet in God's 
compassion and mercy. Jesus does care about our current problems. And God often moves in mercy to bring that daily transformation. Look what happens at the end of the story. After asking that hard question of the, of the religious leaders, Jesus continues in verse 10. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite title for himself, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He's about to show them, hey, I'm God, that's why I can do this. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. A few years back at another one of these church leader, religious leaders conventions that I was a part of, I heard a preacher by the name of Kyle told this amazing story about a man he had met by the name of Adam. Adam had come from a really, really rough background, been in just a cycle of dysfunction and poverty that he couldn't get out of, even to the point where Adam never learned how to read and write. He was illiterate. And through some bad choices and not being able to break this cycle, um, Adam ended up in prison. And while Adam was in prison, he met another inmate who had found out that Adam couldn't read or write. And so this inmate offered and volunteered to teach Adam how to read and write with one catch. They would only use, they would only study, they would only teach Adam to read by using the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus. And so as Adam, over the years, in, in prison, studied and learned how to read, it was the story of Jesus that was his textbook. And his heart and his life were transformed. He became a follower of Jesus. And so when he got out of prison, he started attending a small church in a small town. Of course, it didn't take very long, as can happen in a small town. Words started to get out about Adam's past, his criminal record, his time in prison. And some of the people in the church started getting pretty upset that somebody like Adam was in their house. Eventually, one of the very influential families of the church came in and spoke with the pastor about the situation. They said to him, look, you've got to tell him to leave. This is not working for us. You've got you to tell this man to leave, and if you don't, we're going to leave. The pastor thought about it for a minute, responded to the family that Adam was welcome in the church. Well, that family was true to their word, and they decided to leave the church. And then some other families started getting angry about that, and it started to look like more and more people, more and more families were going to walk away, were going to leave the church and go to a different church across town. And it was during this time that Adam started to second-guess if he should even be a part of the church. He started to wonder, maybe, maybe I should just, 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 just go away quietly, just, just walk away and not put the pastor in any more of, of these, these awful situations, not be a, be a stumbling block for these people in the church, not be a problem in the congregation anymore, not make any more of a mess of it than it already is. And when all this was kind of coming to a boiling point, one Sunday night at the end of the service, kids, ask your parents, we used to have church on Sunday nights, the pastor stood up in front of the congregation, Sunday night church was just the church people, there weren't any visitors then, he stood up in front of the congregation and he asked Adam to come down to the stage. Well, suddenly Adam knew exactly what had happened. Undoubtedly, Adam thought, this pastor has heard of his criminal record, he's heard of my problems, and he's asking me to come up the front in front of the church to tell me not to come back. And so Adam dropped his head and slowly started walking down the aisle to the front of the sanctuary. 
he's embarrassed, but he knows it has to be done. The people in the seats, well, they're kind of wishing that the pastor could have chosen a, you know, a less, less public way to do this. Maybe do this on Monday in the office, not on Sunday night in front of the whole church. Maybe he could have done this. It was awkward. It was just, just a weird moment, a lot of tension, but they all knew it needed to happen. So Adam got up in front of the church, and the pastor met at him and looked at him. The pastor said, all right, I think by now all of you know who Adam is, and I think by now you've heard his story, or at least the rumor of his story. So the pastor went on and said, I've made a difficult decision, but an important decision. Ever since Adam was released from prison, he's been having a really difficult time finding a job. So I want the church to know that we're going to hire Adam to take care of our facilities here at the church. And at that, the pastor reached into his pocket and pulled out a set of keys, the keys to the church. He handed the keys to Adam and he said, hey, you're going to need these. So you can come in here early on Sunday mornings and open up the doors and get the lights and the heat on for us. You're going to need these so you can lock up when, when we're done at the end of uh, the day. You're going to need these during the week so you can come in and empty the trash cans and run the vacuum cleaner and clean the bathrooms. When Adam was telling this story to Kyle, the preacher I heard tell the story, Kyle says there were just tears running down Adam's cheeks. And Adam said, it was the very first time in my life that I ever had a key to anything. The first time in my life anyone ever trusted me with something. And when Adam told this story to Kyle, it wasn't in prison. It was at a pastor's conference where Adam has now been serving a local church for several years. I, I love stories like that because they paint a picture of how primary and how important God's forgiveness is. That once God's forgiveness has been spoken over us, we don't get to let the past, we don't get to let our mistakes, we don't get to let our sins define us anymore. I also love it because I want to be a part of a church like that. Where even when things get messy, even when the roof caves in, we see people's lives by the forgiveness of God. Church, I don't know what you came to Pleasant Valley Road today to hear, but can I remind you? Your sins are forgiven. Let me pray for you. While I'm praying, those of you who are serving, go ahead and take your places and get ready to serve communion to us. God, I thank you so much for the ways that you work in our lives for the ways that you love us, for the ways that you see our brokenness, you see our messes, and you speak forgiveness over us. God, I ask that those who are listening today in the room, watching online, those, those who are listening who aren't yet following you, that they would lean in and realize that there is a God inviting them to experience this same forgiveness, this same transformation. God, if you're real, make yourself real to us. God, would you shape us to believe that you really are God and that your forgiveness and your grace is the most 